I have not worn a V-neck in years. The one Sunday I wear one, I bought this yesterday, and he has to make a big deal about it. Go ahead and open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in the finishing up chapter 2. Today is a family Sunday. We don't normally do skits, but when it is the fourth Sunday, and sometimes when there's a fifth Sunday, we have a family Sunday where we're all together. It gives a break to our teachers. It also allows our families to do something like this together. So kids, here's the question that I want to ask all of you. When we had this skit, when we were watching Mr. Deffendorf come in here and he was doing all of these things, there was a problem. He had something going on. Now here's my question. Did Mr. Deffendorf know what his problem was? He did not know what his problem was. He thought it was all of these other things. He thought it was these other things. It was, the problem was his shirt. The problem was his phone wasn't loud enough. The problem was with other people. Were those really his problem? No. They were showing him that they, there was a problem. They were showing, they were symptoms that something needed to be fixed, but that wasn't the problem. His sickness, the big sore that he had, needed to be fixed. But because he didn't see his real problem, then he didn't look for the right solution. What we're going to see this morning is that what we, that we, all of us here, all of humanity, has a desperate need, a deep sickness. And that sickness requires the right cure. But if we don't see the real problem, then we're not going to look for the right solution. So that's what we're going to be going through today. So the first thing that I want you to draw in your handout is that sick heart. Because that's our desperate need. So you can start out by looking at that heart. This morning, Jesus is going to perform two spiritual checkups. The first checkup is going to just be a quick checkup at the end of chapter 2 that really is going to serve to raise a question for all of us. What is required for salvation? What do we need in order to be saved? The second checkup, the first one is just a general one. The second one, we're going to zoom in. We're going to see this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, and Jesus is going to show him that he has not cured his desperate need. Jesus is going to give us four different symptoms that demonstrate that the need, the desperate need, is still uncured. Our big idea this morning is that our desperate need requires new birth through the Spirit and salvation through belief in Jesus. Our desperate need requires new birth through the Spirit and salvation through belief in Jesus. Let's start with our passage in John 2, verse 23 through 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. This passage serves as a transition from where we were last week to where we're going this week. The setting is the same as last week. He is in Jerusalem. It's the time of the Passover. But we're going to see that Jesus is going to give a general checkup against the crowd because he knows what is in man. The theme of this, even though the setting is from the previous part, the theme, though, that the question that comes from this really serves as we go into this next chapter of chapter 3, 1 through 21. And we're really going to do this message in two parts. The first part is going to be right now where we're going to look at verse 1 through 15. And then next week, we're going to really go into this element of belief as we look at verses 16 through 21. 
But there's hard things in our passage today. This first paragraph presents some things that are difficult for us to understand. Look at verse 23. Many have believed in his name. Why? Because they saw the signs he was doing. Now, we don't know what signs they saw. Um, John has not written them out what signs Jesus did in Jerusalem. And in fact, if we go to the end of John, what we've done many times, looking at John 20, uh, verse 30, John says, there were many more signs that I could have written, but I didn't. These are some of those signs. Whatever these signs were, Jesus was doing them in Jerusalem, and many have seen them, and they believed. But right at the beginning, we, so we have this thing that's wonderful because it seems to fit with the theme of John that people have seen signs and believed. But then in verse 24, we have a problem. Because they have believed in his name because of the signs that they saw, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. What's going on here? Some of you, if you have your Bible, there's probably a little footnote right there that shows that the word believed in verse 23 is the same word as in trust here in verse 24. It's a play on words that John's using. It's basically saying they believed in Jesus, but Jesus in his part did not believe in return. It's almost, we could say it like this, they trusted in Jesus but Jesus did not entrust himself to them. I don't know about you, but that's kind of a concerning statement. If someone were to just say that verse out of context on the street and say, well, people believe in Jesus, but he doesn't always believe in them. I'd be like, whoa, 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 heresy, not like what's going on here. And this is a hard passage, and so we're going we're gonna to work through this. Now, we could spend our whole time just looking at these verses, but, but we're trying to get to something more. The problem with the many who believed was not in the quality of their faith, but in the object of their faith. Most of the time when we talk about these things, we think, oh, well, they didn't really believe. That, that's the problem. No, I think they really believed. It says they believed. That's not the problem. It's not, oh, did they actually believe? It's what did they believe in? Turn quickly with me to John chapter 6. We're going to just kind of unpack this by looking at an example that comes later in the Gospel of John found in John chapter 6. In John 6, we see a group very similar to the group in our passage. Look at what it says in verse 1. After the, this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him. Why? Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. All right, right away we see a large group following Jesus. And why are they following him? Because they've seen him do signs. They may or may not believe in him yet, but they're curious. They want to see what else he's going to do. And in this passage, Jesus is going to do something else. He's going to do another sign. There's thousands of people following Jesus. And as they're walking, as they're going, they're getting hungrier. And so now there's this problem that all of these thousands of people are hungry. And Jesus does another sign. With five loaves, two fish, Jesus does something miraculous. Look at verse 11 of chapter 6. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered, gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from, what, from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Notice the transition. Two times, chapter 6 talks about the signs the many have seen. And what is the result? They believe something. They look and they see the sign that Jesus has done and they say something true. This is the prophet who is to come into the world. 
Now, the prophet they're talking about is one that the Old Testament pointed to and is the Messiah. So they believe something true about Jesus. They aren't wrong. Jesus is the prophet. But then look at what that belief, what they truly are believing will happen. Look at verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The crowd correctly understood that Jesus was the Messiah. But what they completely misunderstood, what, was, what the Messiah came to do. Throughout the Gospels, we will see that the people of Israel are looking for the wrong Messiah. Sometimes they recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, but they're expecting the wrong things. Here comes a man who can heal the sick. Here comes a man who brings bread from heaven like Moses had the manna in the desert. Here comes a man who must be the king to conquer our enemies. This must be the Messiah. But what they are looking for him to do are only solve external problems. Cure the sick. Feed the hungry. Conquer Rome. They're so close to understanding, and yet they're so far away. Does Jesus come to heal the sick? Yes, he heals the sick from sin. Does Jesus give bread from heaven? Yes, but he gives the bread of life. Does Jesus conquer our enemies? Yes, but not the enemies of Rome, the enemies of sin and separation, of death. Jesus came for the spiritual, the desperate need, not for the external things, for the internal. Will the external things be resolved? Yes. But that's the only thing they're looking for. They're only looking to cure the things that are uncomfortable, the shirt that hurts, the phone they can't hear, the people that are looking at them. Will those things be resolved? Yes, but through the internal transformation, not external. So in John 6, Jesus perceives that they are looking for the wrong kind of Messiah. And instead of entrusting himself to them, instead of giving himself so that they can make him their version of the Messiah, he removes himself. Go back then to our, our chapter, John 2, 23 through 25. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Why not? Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. What did Jesus see that caused himself to, to not give himself to them? Jesus knew what was on the inside. He knew all people. He himself knew what was in man. No one told Jesus these things. No one had to clue him in. Jesus is the God who sees. He knows what is in man. He knows our desperate need. He knew what these Jews here believed, and he knew that that was not what they needed. It wasn't something external. They still needed something greater. Our desperate need requires salvation through belief in Jesus, but it is not any, just any belief. It is not on our own terms. We do not get to decide what our need is and therefore how determine what the cure should be. One of the biggest problems that Jesus confronts is those who think they know exactly what their need is and therefore they think that they know the cure. Jesus comes not to resolve whatever we think our need is. Jesus comes to cure our desperate need, and he knows what that is. He knows what is in man. The Old Testament has revealed that. The Old Testament has revealed what our desperate need is. It began in the garden. We sinned and were separated from God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We needed to be 
cured. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 through 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? God can. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. God knows what is in man. We are sick. Our desperate need is a heart that is dead, a heart of stone. And God sees our deeds and he gives according to those things. That's a terrifying statement. To know that we will be held responsible for our condition. But that's the problem. That's the need that Scripture points to. It's our desperate need. Not external, internal. The question that is raised then is then, what do we do about this desperate need? If God gives this checkup, and says, this, you are searching the wrong thing. You're looking for the wrong solution. That's not what you need. What then do we need? And so now the passage is going to transition, and it's going to look at someone specifically. And Jesus is going to take Nicodemus through this spiritual checkup, and he's going to show four different symptoms of an uncured desperate need. The first symptom of an uncured need is the symptom of not knowing God. Kids, on the back of your your bulletin, we have different phrases, and one of them says, no, and then there's a blank. And I want you, and if you need help from your parents, I want you to write this, no God. So you write in the little blank there, no God. In these first eight verses, we will see that Nicodemus, in fact, does not know God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Notice the similarities and connections between the paragraph at the end of chapter 2 and this paragraph. Verse 25 ended with the statement from Jesus, He himself knew what was in man. And the very next verse begins, There was a man. And we're going to see in this passage that Jesus knows what is in this man, Nicodemus. We also see that Nicodemus believes something because of the signs. He's going to make claims regarding Jesus, and he says because of the signs that he's seen. So there's this connection between these two paragraphs. And in this conversation with Nicodemus, this really helps us to understand. So so what do we know about Nicodemus? Well, it, it begins with the description. He's a Pharisee a ruler. Later in verse 10, it says that he was also the teacher of Israel. Now, nowadays, if you were to call someone a Pharisee, they're not going to take that as a compliment. That's not something that, that if you, oh man, you just, you just remind me of the Pharisees. I'd be offended if someone said that to me. But back then, a Pharisee was a respected member These were people that held with zeal to the law of God. When when we see a Pharisee, we can know that they understood that the nation of Israel had come under judgment because, and what God had said, because they were idol worshipers and they had neglected to follow the law. And so these Pharisees are passionate about doing these things. It's like, it's passionate like Fred was passionate. No, I've been eating my vegetables. I've been exercising. I've been doing the things you told me to do. But there was a problem. Because they thought that their entire salvation was found in those things. And does the Old Testament tell them to do those things? Yes. But the Old Testament also pointed to their deeper need. 
there was a more desperate need. The problem for Nicodemus and the Pharisees is that they look at these external things and they think the solution is external because their needs are external and that's all they're looking for. But Jesus is going to show something different. Jesus is going to show an internal need. In Matthew 23, verse 27, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Lawlessness? The Pharisees? Everything about them was the law. And yet Jesus says, no, inside is the lawlessness. And Jesus is going to go and expose this need, expose this misunderstanding of what our true need is and therefore what the true solution must be. Now John kind of gives us a foreshadowing because he tells us who Nicodemus is, but then he also tells us the setting in which this conversation happens. And there's a bit of, of a clue here because it says that Nicodemus comes at night. Now later, in the passage that we're going to look at next week, John is going to show the difference between those who are in the light versus those who are in darkness. In John 11, verse 10, it says, If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Nicodemus is searching. He came to Jesus, but we will see that he is literally and metaphorically still in darkness. Look what Nicodemus says. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these th signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus is saying true things. All of those statements are true. But Nicodemus in those statements is also describing, is also showing his blindness. Because what does Nicodemus not see? He does not recognize Jesus as God. We know you are from God. We know that God is with you. But those things are lacking. Jesus didn't just come from God. God isn't just with Jesus. Jesus is God. That's what Jesus says. In, in John 14, verse 6 through 7, it says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do, on, you do know him and have seen him. John, Jesus says in John 14, 7, if you knew me, you would know the Father. Nicodemus, in what he says about Jesus, demonstrates he doesn't know Jesus. And if he doesn't know Jesus, who else does he not know? God. Nicodemus, the first symptom of an uncured, desperate need is that Nicodemus does not know God. But Nicodemus doesn't yet recognize that problem. He doesn't see that symptom, but Jesus, who knows the hearts of man, does and reveals it to him. Look what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus exposes the symptom. Nicodemus, you can't know the things you think you know unless your internal desperate need is cured. Truly, truly, this is the truth. You need to be reborn. You need to be born again. This concept of being born is not new in the Gospel of John. It was introduced back in chapter 1. Turn to chapter 1 and look at verse 12 and 13. Verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In, verse, in chapter 1, these two verses, in verses 12 and 13, we see the two requirements to be cured of our desperate need. The first is that we must each of us personally choose to receive and believe in Jesus. That's our human responsibility. But on the other hand, we need to be born again. But that is not something we can do ourselves. It is not a birth of blood. It is not by the will of the flesh. It is not by the will of man. It is by the blood of the Lamb. It is through the Spirit who comes. It is the will of God. Our rebirth is only possible because God chooses us. That's the reality of our salvation. That you have a personal responsibility. Receive and believe. But there is divine sovereignty that it is a work that God does. It is not our will. It is the will of God. We're going to see both of those things. Jesus is going to bring both of those things up to Nicodemus. But right now he's talking about this thing, this internal transformation that is a work that only God can do. It's not something that he can cure himself. Nicodemus' desperate need requires new birth from above. Some of you might have a footnote as well there after the word again in your Bible. And and the word again can either be translated again or it could be translated from above. Now, most of the time when you come to the Bible and there can be multiple definitions of a word, the temptation is to say, well, it's all of of the, the different meanings. Usually it's not. Usually, the authors are incredibly specific to have one meaning. But sometimes, with a clever author, he uses both meanings. John is a master of doing that. Not only does Nicodemus need to be born again, he also needs to be born from above. Let let me explain this of, of how sometimes we do this. If you were walking on the road, and you hear someone whispering to another, the treasure is in the trunk. And you don't hear anything else, and you keep on walking. You could assume, well, let me think about what a trunk is. I know where the treasure is. The treasure is in a trunk that an elephant is holding with his trunk within the back trunk of a car, maybe parked inside that tunnel that goes through the sequoias in California. It's a trunk within a trunk within a trunk within a trunk. That's obviously the meaning. Normally, in the Bible, that's not the case. You need to look at the context. Clearly, you did not hear the person enough to understand what's going there. On the other hand, if you came to me and said, Stephen, describe your wife to me, and I say, my wife is a fair maiden. You could take from that either that I'm talking about her beauty or that I'm talking about her character. But when I'm saying it, I mean both. Now, there are times in the Bible that it does that, but they're difficult, and they're not often. There needs to be someone that is a master with the language that does that. John is one of those people. Three different times in our passage, John is going to use these terms in two ways. The first one is here. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Nicodemus, you need to be born from above. Now, when Jesus is addressing this desperate need, is he addressing the external and the physical, or is he addressing the internal and spiritual? He's addressing the internal and spiritual desperate need that Nicodemus has. He's not, but Nicodemus doesn't get it. Nicodemus is not yet thinking about the internal. Everything is external. We do the law externally. We have removed external idols. And so Jesus must be talking about some external physical thing. That's the only thing it could mean. And so look at Nicodemus' question. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now the way Nicodemus is asking these questions, he's talking only physically. And the way he's asking the questions, Nicodemus is right. No, 
A person cannot be physically born again. And all the mothers in the congregation said, Amen. That's not what Jesus is talking about, though. Nicodemus is thinking on this external, this physical level, but Jesus is pointing to a a spiritual need. So look what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, I'm not talking about a physical need. I'm talking about your desperate spiritual need need. You need to be reborn of the Spirit. Now, part of this verse, in this verse, is one of the harder elements, again, of our passage that there are different opinions on. Now, as we're going to go through this, but, but here's the thing I want all of us to be on the same page. The main point of this portion is our spiritual need that we need to be born of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. That is our need. That is something that God alone can do, and we need him to do that. The confusing part of this passage is because it says, be born of the water and the Spirit. What is the water doing in this passage? Now, again, the main thing is the Spirit. So wherever you land on, make sure you still land on the spiritual need. That's where we're going. I will talk about, though, the different things that people see here. There's basically three main views. The first view is that, or not main view, but this is one of the views, the the view that Jesus is talking about baptism. You need to be baptized. You need to have the water of baptism and the Spirit. Now, the other two views, I could see it being either one of those views. I absolutely do not see it being the view of baptism. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Here's why. Jesus is talking about salvation. Nowhere in Scripture does it present that baptism is a requirement for salvation. The sinner on the cross is promised to be in paradise. At what point was that man baptized? This is not a requirement for salvation. Here's the second thing. Jesus is talking about an internal and spiritual need. Baptism is an external demonstration of what has already happened internally. Everything in this portion is a work of God. Baptism is something that we could see as human work. Oh, I can do that. I can baptize myself. That's what we'll do. No, this is all looking at things that God does. This is also, though, something that Jesus is doing to help Nicodemus. Nicodemus would have no way of understanding if this was baptism. He would have no frame of of reference to understand that. So seeing it as baptism is us reading something into this text. The other options, though, are are possibilities. The first option is more looking at this in a medical sense, that when babies are born, there's water. The water breaks. There are even references in antiquity of people using it in that sense of, of the water, born of the water. Dr. Sayer, we were talking about this passage, and he was talking about, he's like, that's instantly where his mind goes as he's delivered thousands of babies and always surprised by the amount of water. There's some evidence even in this text about this, that what he's going to talk about, he says, what is born of flesh is flesh, what is born of spirit is spirit, meaning that, yes, all of us are born of the flesh, all of us are born of water, but we also need to be born of the spirit. That is a valid way of seeing this verse because still the main point is being born of the Spirit. That's the main thing. That's not my opinion, but it's an opinion that you can have. What I think is happening here, though, is that Jesus is pointing back. These needs, these desperate needs are not new to the New Testament. These are things that God has already made clear that our desperate need is an internal need. Our desperate need is our hearts. And one of the main passages that talks about that is in Ezekiel 36, which I'll read. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. Look at how Jesus, that, well, look at how it starts in this passage. 
I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new, and a new spirit. I will put it within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In Ezekiel 36, God is telling his people, I will do a work that will finally resolve your desperate spiritual need. I will clean you with water. I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you. The way I see what is happening in this passage is that Jesus is alluding to that, in alluding to this passage, that you need to be born of water and of spirit. You need to be made clean, which happens through my spirit, which is given to you. What we see is that Nicodemus is still looking at only the physical things. How can these things happen? How can I be born again? But Jesus is pointing him to his spiritual need. But look what Jesus says. Verse 7. Because this, this is a difficult thing for Nicodemus to understand. Think about Nicodemus' entire worldview. How did Nicodemus think he would be saved? These are the things I need to do. This is how the blessing is going to happen. And yet Jesus comes in and says, it's not those things. It's through what I will do. That's a total overhaul of what Nicodemus understands. And so what, Ni what Jesus then says is, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Do not marvel. One of the other times we see this word is when the disciples find Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And the disciples find Jesus talking to a woman, and they marveled at it. The idea of the word is also they wondered at it. Imagine the disciples seeing something that, that just didn't fit in their worldview. How could Jesus, the Messiah, be talking to a Samaritan woman? It stopped them in their tracks. Imagine what Nicodemus is hearing. This is you, what you really need. And it's stopping him in his tracks. And Jesus says, do not marvel at this. The wind blows where it wishes. Again, here's one of those words that is used two ways, but this time Jesus. The word wind, probably again, there's a footnote in your Bible that, that demonstrates this. The word wind is the same word as spirit. The wind blows where it will, or the spirit blows where it wishes. The work that God is doing is a work that God determines. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 13. This happens according to the will of God. This is not something that we can force. But that is a difficult understanding, and it often stops us in our tracks because we want to know all of it. We want to understand it. Well, wait, how does God make that decision? What, what's the criteria for doing that? How is it that God demonstrates mercy to those who he will show mercy? How does this work? And Jesus says, look, the wind blows where it wishes. You can see evidence of it, but you do not know where it come from, comes from or where it goes. There are things in this that are beyond your understanding. Now, some of the times we're, that can seem like, well, wait a second. We're, we're supposed to understand the scripture. We're supposed to study. Yes, we are. And in the next portion, we're going to get into that because there are things that Jesus rebukes Nicodemus for not knowing. At the same time, don't let some of these things stop you. You need to humble yourself. Humble yourself. You don't know everything. Trust Jesus. Trust what he reveals. Our desperate, desperate need requires rebirth in the Spirit. The first symptom of an uncured desperate need is if we don't know God. The solution, then, is to know God. That's also the first part of the gospel. Who is God? Let's move on to the second symptom. And these other symptoms we're going to go through 
a little faster. We've already seen that as a theme in these first verses that what the problem is that Nicodemus does not understand his need. But, now G, but he doesn't know that yet. Jesus now is going to reveal that to Nicodemus. The second symptom is to understand our needs. So kids, if you have your, your paper, go to the back. And I want you to go to the back. And, uh, and the part that I want you to do there is to write, understand man's need. Understand humanity's need. What does man need? Look at verse 9 in John 3. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Jesus just told him to not marvel at this, but it's still too much for Nicodemus. He asks, How can these things be? He's referring to all of it. How can spiritual birth be required? How can, can this be a work that God initiates, that God does? How can these things be? And Jesus addresses Nicodemus' question, and he begins with a rebuke. Are you the teacher and you do not understand these things? How You just said that the, there are things that we can't know, and yet there are things that we are, re, are responsible for. The Old Testament points to the human condition. Nicodemus, how do you not understand that your desperate need is internal, not external? That I'm not talking about a physical rebirth. I'm talking about a spiritual need. The second symptom of, an uncured, of our uncured desperate need is not understanding man's need. Nicodemus, are you the teacher, but you don't understand what you truly need? Do you not see that your heart is evil and sick? Do you not see that mankind is far from God and separated from sin? This is our need. And if you don't understand your, your need, if you don't understand the desperate problem, then you'll never seek the right solution. The second piece of the gospel is man's condition. Know, understand man's need. God, who is God? Who is man? Then Jesus continues to the third symptom. That Nicodemus does not receive the testimony of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Jesus bears witness to what we need. He speaks of what he knows. We would have no hope of understanding our need or the solution if Jesus did not reveal it to us. But he did. God revealed himself to us through the Son. The Word became flesh and dwelt among men. Jesus comes and exposes what we need. He reveals the solution he speaks of it. He bears witness to it. But we do not receive. What does, do we not receive? We don't receive Jesus. We don't receive the testimony. That's the third symptom. We must understand who Jesus is, what he did. Look to Jesus. Understand his work. But the final symptom, the third symptom, and kids, you can write on, on the previous one that we must, let me look at my paper, receive Jesus' testimony. The fourth symptom, though, is that we must respond with belief in Jesus for salvation. In John 3.12, it says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus here is addressing part of the question Nicodemus asked. Nicodemus asked, how can these things be? Because he also wants to understand the heavenly reality. Explain to me how this works. And Jesus says, if you're not willing to believe the earthly things, to understand you, that you have a need that I can fix, I'm the cure. If you're not willing to understand that, how on earth are you going to understand all of these other things? Nicodemus, believe. Believe what I am telling you. Believe what I have revealed. 
And what is it that Nicodemus must believe? It's not just believe that Jesus is real. That's similar to receiving the testimony of Jesus. It's something more than that. What do we need to believe? Believe that Jesus is the cure. Believe that Jesus is our source of salvation. That's the belief. Many people can get to the point where they understand who God is, that they understand that man has a problem, and then they can believe that Jesus was real. But if you don't take that belief and then respond to it with belief in Jesus as your own salvation, then it does not work. That's what Nicodemus then needs to do. He needs to respond. That's the fourth word, kids. Respond with belief in Jesus for salvation. And Jesus is going to show that that's what he means, that you need to believe in Jesus as the source of your salvation by pointing back to a story that Nicodemus would have known. He points back to Numbers 21. Look what Jesus says. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now Jesus, in talking about Moses and the serpent, the the Israelites had disobeyed God, and God had punished them. And the problem that they had is these serpents are in the camp. They are causing people to be sick and to die. They have a desperate need. And look what God says in in Numbers 21. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. What's fascinating about the passage is if we could imagine what God would tell, if if we didn't know that story and we were to just guess what God would say to put up on a pole, it wouldn't be the symbol of the curse that is inflicting them. Their problem in the camp is snakes. And so now their, their solution is going to be a snake as well? That seems so weird. But it's pointing to something. It's pointing that the symbol of the curse becomes the source of the cure. The symbol of the curse became the source of the cure. What is the symbol of our curse? Death and separation. What is the symbol of the cross? Death and and separation. What should be the greatest defeat in our minds, that everything has gone wrong because even the Son of God is now dead and separated from God. That very thing becomes the source of our cure. We now look to Jesus and what was the symbol becomes the source. That's our solution. Believe in Jesus for your salvation. Do you see here that the progression that Jesus takes Nicodemus through is the progression of the gospel? Nicodemus, you don't know who God is because you don't know who I am. Nicodemus, you don't understand your desperate need. You think it's external, it's internal. You don't understand man's problem. Nicodemus, you do not receive my testimony. You do not receive who I say I am. Nicodemus, you do not believe in me for your salvation. If you're here this morning and you have not yet gone through that, and you're asking, how is someone saved? It's through this. Next week, we're going to go further into this element of belief. But understand this. You need to know who God is, that God is holy. He created us. But man's problem is that we are separated from him because of our sin. But God gives a promise to us that he can resolve this issue. And he does that through revealing Jesus. Jesus bears testimony to our need, but also the solution. And then our response must be to place our faith in Jesus, to believe in him for our salvation. That's what we need. That is the only cure to your desperate need. But if you're here and you've already done that, what does this mean for the rest of us? First, there's an element of sanctification here. This is our foundation. This is where we start. You can't know these things. You can't have these things unless God has called you and you respond to him through faith. 
But once that has happened, there's supposed to be a result. We're going to see next week in verse 21 that we should now be walking in the light because of what God has done. This is what motivates our sanctification. There's also implications, though, for us as a body. We've talked a little bit about the kingdom of God. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are a citizen of that kingdom. This church is an outpost of those citizens of the kingdom of God. What does that mean for us as a body then? It means that the only ones who can be members of that body are those who are born again. That's why when we have new members come in, we require them to share their testimony. We want to know that they're born again. We don't have them write a doctrinal paper. Nicodemus could have written a doctrinal paper. We want to see their rebirth. It has implications for our evangelism. Are you showing people their desperate need? What are we saying that Jesus does? Is it external things? Jesus is going, we can be part of the Jesus crowd. Jesus gives me the car that I want. Jesus gets me this. Jesus gets me that. That's not our need. So in our evangelism, what are we bringing up? Now, specifically in the evangelism, this is a family Sunday. Parents, are you exposing the desperate need of your children? Are you trying to reveal their heart, which is evil, desperately wicked, and deceitful, and it has a desperate need? Now that sounds contrary. We don't like that idea. We, oh, you shouldn't say that to a kid. It's their reality. They need the cure. Our desperate need requires new birth through the Spirit and salvation through belief in Jesus. That is our only cure. That is our solution. As the worship team comes up, next week we're going to be looking more at this, more into this theme of belief, but this is what we need to know. Our desperate need requires spiritual rebirth, rebirth through the Spirit, a work that God alone can do. But there's also the human responsibility that we must receive the testimony of Jesus. We must respond in belief for our salvation.